Welcome, investors, to the fifth On Frontier Tech podcast with Gene Munster. I'm Joel Conan, and I am joined by the founder at Benzinga here, Jason Rasnick. Good afternoon. Good afternoon. How you doing, Mr. Munster? I'm doing great, Joel. Jason, uh, great to be back. All right, so let's start. Uh, let's start with the big dog here, Apple. Uh, they come out with their announcement on Friday. Uh, increasing iPhone 11 production. Uh, Two-part question here. One, were you surprised by that? And number two, don't they kind of understate uh, their production and what they're going to put out there so they don't have, uh, you know, over oversupply? This is, isn't this kind of way Apple does things? Uh, it's a little bit different. Typically, you'll see the expansions in the uh, the production numbers going into the before the product actually launches. So that would have been during the summer. And at this point, we would start to hear about cuts in the supply. I think there's some quick context because what Apple typically wants to do is to gear its suppliers to handle any sort of capacity. So they usually will give them before the product actually ships a bigger number than they actually intend. Uh, so the timing on this uh, does point to being um, more well-received, iPhone 11 being more well-received. And to answer the question, um, is it a surprise? It is a surprise. Um, maybe even uh, if you just said a surprise uh, a month ago before the products came out. On, on launch day, we did observe a small sample of uh, six stores that we went to, lines that were 20% greater than the combined lines from their two launches last year. So that was kind of a directional indicator, but you know, there's a lot of stuff that comes from outside of the U.S., and this is probably a slightly positive indicator regarding China. So I think a lot of investors' biggest uh, fears are, uh, number one, not coming true, and the opposite uh, seems to be in play, which is iPhone, uh, dare I say, may even surprise on the upside. Got it, got it. So, um, yeah, and so what do you think um – you know, I, surprise on the upside, and that's an Apple and the stock. It's new 52-week high today. What do you think about the recent gains? I mean, you think it's, you know, too much, too fast, or is this, this like people are finding the service business being such a huge gainer here as well? I think that there needs to be a whole new view, a new paradigm in terms of how to invest in Apple, and I think that um, – the, the stock still has a meaningful upside. I still believe within the next couple of years, this should be a $350 plus stock. Wow. And $350. Might, wow. 350 That would get it to a $1.7 trillion market cap, uh, just over a trillion today. Uh, that may seem aggressive and out of touch, but I think investors have really had a difficult time kind of breaking through this one, the psychological piece of the $1 trillion and ultimately is that if in a year that has uh, measurable headwinds regarding China, also what will be anticipation of uh, iPhone 5G next year, which will be a large upgrade. I think in a, a year where they have those kind of headwinds, uh, even just broader economic headwinds, in uh, some features that were relatively, for, by, by some people who reviewed it, uninspiring, better camera, better battery, if they deliver a growing iPhone with all those headwinds, I think that that is a sign something bigger is going on, that this company is not just about a product cycle, it's about becoming kind of a consumer tech staples company. And, and staples companies trade at mid-20s multiples, Coca-Cola, Procter & Gamble, not uh, growing businesses, but uh, they're, they have much yeah. higher multiples than Apple today. 
Yeah, and it's interesting. I mean, Apple has a lot of mindshare, and yeah, I mean, my kids, I regulate how often they use their their iPads or iPhones just through my Apple admin stuff. It's really amazing. I can track where the, the they're located now, all through the Apple, you know, tools. And um, my colleague here, Joel Elkanen, now for his birthday has uh, <laughs> here's the surprise announcement. Oh, I'm running. No, it. go ahead. Go ahead. Ha has a brand new Apple Watch, and even he can manage how to use it. It's amazing. That says a lot. I can't wait to talk to more about it, uh, Joel. But you know, uh, that concept of being able to tie all things together, all of your kind of consumer tech needs together, that's, that's a big deal. Um, I, I do not lead this as a top tick on the Apple Watch by any means, Joel. You're, you're, uh, <laughs> you're buying it. Yeah. I think there's still a lot of room to, to grow. For I'll this tell you, Gene, I'm, I'm getting rid of my phone. I am eventually, what? I'm going to get, I'm going to get to cellular. I'm going to get the package. I'm going to figure it out. It's just another thing for me to carry, another thing for me to lose, another okay. thing for me to break. So oh, that's I just, yeah, that's what, uh, and Lisa said, I'm going to be the guy walking through the grocery store yelling at his phone or his watch. Gotcha. That's going to be me. Yep. But uh, so still learning. There's some really cool tricks with that with the watch you can do. You can do like some private eye stuff. It's really cool. You can like the phone on, the camera on, the iPhone on, and then, yeah. Anyway, we're going to move on to Uber. So you've seen the upgrade today. I don't know if you uh, saw it, but... Do you, um, you know, you like this company or what, what do you think here? I think yeah. it's, a, it's a good company. I don't know when's the right time to invest. I think both Lyft and Uber have this uh, fundamental challenge just around uh, profitability and how investors are thinking about profitability. I'm, I'm overseeing the obvious what's happened to these stories over the last couple months. And uh, WeWork kind of plays into that too, this idea of, better track to profitability is uh, the best formula for uh, the public markets today. Uh, I do believe that they have scale, uh, both Lyft and Uber uh, have scale. I would uh, and will participate, be key players in the future of mobility. So I think that uh, I'm not answering your question because uh, I don't have a, a, an answer. I would say this is that for uh, investors who have the ability to uh, hold, buy and hold for a long haul being two plus years, I would recommend Lyft over Uber mm. in part because of their uh, focus um, domestic. They're just starting to scale a little bit outside of the U.S., but uh, Uber has three different businesses uh, uh, with uh, Uber Eats and deliveries and then they're uh, separately their, um, uh, you know, their, their core business. And I just feel that a, a more focused uh, view is uh, more advantageous. And I think that the partnerships that Lyft has around autonomy are slightly better than the partnerships that Uber has. And so I think when you put all those together, I leave with uh, a comfort that if you own Lyft for the, the long haul, two plus years, you'll be in a good spot. Gotcha. Yeah. I mean, they, this, they did take some big hits and I hope that, you know, could see some rebounds. Uh, the one thing I thought was interesting, Uber has this Uber trucking division where they're like uh, trying to trip logistics. And I know there's big margins in the logistics or I know it's a market that has room for, you know, taking some share. I wonder if that's going to be impactful for Uber. But um, I just I have a friend that actually works there in the Chicago region. So, yes, yeah, they're, they're doing uh, logistics is a massive market. I think mobility more broadly is a massive opportunity. Um, and I just kind of come back to that this is there's so much complexity into what both Lyft and Uber are trying to solve. And I think uh, Lyft is at least taking off a bite size that is more manageable. And I think Uber, 
I love their ambitions about global and doing trucking and, um, you know, these yep. other opportunities, but I just feel too, too much too soon. I, I, I hear you. And, um, yeah, yep. Go ahead. Uh, just, um, looking at just kind of like a broad perspective here with, uh, you know, wall street and the valuations of these companies. Now I know you, you're removed from wall street here, uh, doing your own, uh, you know, VC, but, you know, come on, you know, they, they have time to study the numbers and the information here. And a, a lot of investors get hurt on these things. What do, what do you think was uh, the misstep in the, you know, the valuations? I mean, you could go Uber, Lyft, you go Smile Direct Club, but let's just, uh, let's stick with Uber and Lyft here. I think what, uh, the reason why people got hurt is because there was uh, a shift in how some of the bigger institutional investors thought about the path to profitability. And uh, if you look at uh, each of these, they all uh, uh, have kind of share that same um, unclear path, uh, could be years away to profitability. And uh, these changes in psychology are hard to predict. And so even though they had all the numbers um, and the companies have been largely delivering in line with the numbers. There's been, if you look at Lyft and Uber specifically, there's been some comments about competition, maybe that it continues to be promotionally driven, that uh, maybe that's some new information that investors didn't have a couple quarters ago. But largely these, the information around the stories is largely unchanged from IPO. And I think the reason why it's dropped is this shifting psychology, which unfortunately is uh, difficult to predict. What do you think about the, I mean, this, didn't this strike GM is going to continue for a while or do you think that, because it, sometimes I don't see strikes having an impact, although my wife just got a car and it had somewhat of an impact because they were like out of the cars that she needed. So it was a whole problem. They had to get like a car like a hundred miles away. But um, do you see the strike having any profound impact or just a short term um Issue. I think I think it's I think the strike is uh, representative of a much bigger challenge that automotive has, um, and they've been wrestling that since uh, you know the the pullback ten years ago, the financial crisis, and ultimately I think that there's a cost structure that's upside down, and um, I don't know when it's going to be resolved. I thought it would be resolved relatively quickly within a matter of days, and and uh, so I don't know when it's resolved. I do uh, believe that. Uh, there, there just needs to be better ways to incentivize these companies and these companies, these large automotive companies are going to go through um, the, the biggest transformation since they were founded uh, as we move to electrification and autonomy. And yep. so I, I see the, uh, 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 you know, I lean, uh, I try to be as center and, and uh, of the road as possible and take in uh, all points on, on both sides here. I, I ultimately lean more positive on a company like Tesla in, in small part, because at this point they don't have a union. That's where I was just going to go. I was just going to go. Yeah. Tesla doesn't have a union. And um, speaking about our, you know, uh, the Tesla stock, um, it, you know, it had some selling pressure because it didn't hit the hundred thousand um, units moved last quarter and uh, loop ventures. You guys released your analysis on it um, saying that, you know, the low end of their year annual guidance could be difficult uh, to achieve. But what do you think? I mean, you, you got, you got the number of 97,000, I think. What do you think about Tesla today? 
I think it's going to go higher over the next five years. I think it'll go higher in the next year. I think this is still should be a holding for an investor who wants to play kind of the future of mobility. The numbers, if you kind of, there's, there's two sides to the numbers. There's the, um, how are the fundamentals of the business doing? Uh, this, these numbers that you're referring to, Jason. Uh, and the second is the, uh, the psychology around the numbers. And it's pretty straightforward is that psychology was negative. The stock traded down, traded down a lot, six, 7% on, on the news yep. of the day, 97,000 deliveries. Um, in part, I think in large part, because Elon Musk suggested a few days before there would be a hundred, as you mentioned. And I think it, it is more representative of investors just still not getting comfortable with Musk and how he sets targets and his ability to exceed what, what he says. He is such a complicated person. I mean, he may very well have put that out on Friday, that email out, knowing that he was going to miss the number uh, just because he wants to kind of mess with the street. I mean, I could, as crazy as that sounds, I could see him uh, wanting to do that. Uh, so uh, the fundamentals, more importantly, uh, they grew uh, 18% year over year in deliveries off of what was a strong September quarter last year because they had two years of pent-up demand for Model 3 going into that. And they've said they've largely worked through that pent-up demand. So we're growing off of a base of this is now we're getting into organic growth for EVs. And on t I think that's an, that is the real takeaway here is that uh, demand for EVs is actually starting to take off and uh, almost in large part to the Model 3. And we, as you play this forward and think about the Shanghai factory coming online for Tesla, that will uh, measurably call it 20 to 30% decline the price of a, a, a Tesla in China starting next year. You think about a gigafactory in Europe. Um, I think you can see how this story can continue to work. And, 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 uh, and I just want to illuminate the biggest negative to the story is just around retention. They just, uh, working in that environment and working for Musk is really hard. And um, people are leave, they leave for a reason and they need to fix that. I understand the, you know, the organic growth argument here, but still, I mean, 500,000 cars in a year, that, that's not a lot of cars here. Two things here, uh, working on the estimates for 2020 and 2021, and also, I mean, couldn't this production problem be solved very easily? There's idle plants all over the country, all over the world. I mean, I, I know they don't have the greatest, you know, uh, cash situation. But here, I mean, if you have a problem and you can fix it almost instantly. I mean, I know Mr. Musk doesn't want to work people, but I mean, come on, a million, just like it had a million cars or 1.5 million cars or 2 million cars. It would be a heck of a lot easier to explain that thesis and the problems with it. Well, it would be a lot easier. And if you, if you think about the China factory that potentially could add a half million uh, vehicles a year, you have, so they're probably going to end up this year at around 350,000, something like that. It will probably be up around 40% versus 2018. Um, part of that is because the back half of 18 uh, or, um, uh, part of it was because the front half of 18 didn't have any Model 3s in it. So you have this uh, kind of, you have to look at it more on a apples to apples basis, which would imply, call it 20% growth. Um, I haven't seen the, the growth rate for the overall auto industry. I suspect that it's uh, low single digits if growing at all. And uh, so I would agree that 
they need to scale. Um, they, uh, I think they are scaling at, a, at an unprecedented rate and they'll continue to do that uh, when China uh, opens up. So I think they start to get to those. Do you have numbers. any update on when China's opening up? It'll be the beginning of next year. They, uh, they've said they could see some cars uh, come off the line at the end of this year, which means it probably won't be this year. Uh, but probably, uh, I think, beginning of next year. There, there's some uh, entertaining flyover videos kind of uh, over time uh, that have uh, shown the, the progression of uh, the China, Shanghai, and I would recommend checking YouTube out. And it's amazing what they've done in the past year there. And so to answer your question, beginning of next year. Yep. Okay. So now you asked earlier about any new software. So yes, the Tesla software update is simply just one word, I would say incredible. Um, I mean, it's freaky to everyone that sees it in real life, but the car can come in. Now you'd say, what's this used for? Well, if it's raining like crazy and you're in a parking lot, that's not busy. You hit a button and the Tesla comes and finds you and picks you up. I've been testing it all around town. I was in my neighbor's driveway or someone that lives on the street has a huge driveway. Had the car go all around his driveway without anyone in the car. And he has like these little curbs and he was able to, you know, drive around that. Honestly, the coolest thing. Okay. It's, it's very cool. That, that, is, uh, that, that to me is, uh, I'd be curious, Joel, your, your take on that. I, I think that is, um, I don't know what other car companies close to delivering that. Uh, no, I think it's incredible. I mean, Raz is the only one hoping for rain around here so he can get his car to pick him up. But uh, no, I mean, I just think the convenience of things. And I, like I, as I said before, I mean, you know, my iWatch or a Tesla car, I mean, it's making life easier for people in 10, 15, 20 years. I mean, the thing to me is that, you know, you just need a, for, to move the stock. You need to make a, the technology. Joel, great. it's not just rain. Think about a person that has a bad leg or something else. Or when we were, there was a situation where I had to move the car out of this thing and I, I used it. It was amazing. But I think Tesla just has a different cultural or I don't know what the word is, but um, tenacity to get things done, driven, get things driven for the consumer. It achieves success for the consumer. Meaning this, someone tweets out to Elon Musk two months ago, why don't we have different horns? What car company has different horn sounds? What, which one? I can't think of any. Maybe they a couple, but like who thinks like that? So Tesla is now testing out different horn sounds. It's like the car, like it just it does what the customer wants, and like most car companies aren't like that. Customizable. Yes, they're customizable. I mean, Gene will joke about it, but the flagellant noise thing. Every kid in the neighborhood wants to go on the Tesla <laughs> just to play with that, and everyone's like to their parents, "Get you got to get a Tesla. You got to get a Tesla." You know what I mean? And it's like. I, and now the Model 3 is the, you know, getting to an affordable price. I just keep thinking. And then when the Model Y comes out, I think the Model Y is going to sell like hotcakes. Yeah. And, you know, even just taking a step back, um, Jason, your comments are representative of, uh, I would say, every Tesla owner that I've had, I've talked to, maybe if, maybe, or if not everyone, almost everyone. And I think that's the piece where you just don't overthink this story is that this is a, uh, a product that's not perfect, but it is uh, measurably better than uh, what else is out there. It's expensive today. You know, uh, you can get a, a low end model three now for call it low 40,000. 
Um, average new car in the U.S. is 35000 so it's still a uh, wealthy person's uh, purchase. Uh, but that said is that will come down over time. So I think, um, you know, this is the, the classic look around you and listen to the people around you. And I think that is a, a strong indication that uh, Tesla's onto something. Yeah. And, wait, and, and I could say something else. So I have Comcast Internet in my house. I was so excited for this update for the software to, you know, to, you can pull the car around, whatever. My Wi-Fi doesn't like reach my garage that well. And like, so I did it my knee. I parked my car, my neighbor's driveway so I can get closer to my Wi-Fi router. Well, anyways, I was so, you know, so I called Comcast. They sent me these three little, these, these pods to have your Wi-Fi everywhere. So now I have one in the garage. So when the Tesla has the next update, it's going to download like in a second. I have. Yeah, that shows you your enthusiasm. You're that, willing to tweak with your network to make it better. That's funny. A hundred percent. Like I literally put these things like right where the, in the laundry room, right by our garage. And I like look at my Tesla app and like, look at the car, you know, like it's something I enjoy. It's, it's like the iPhone extension. I, I think people are not catching the story, but I, I honestly wouldn't mind it going down to below 200 so I could buy more shares. That's the way I look at it. Sticking with the technicals, uh, talking about companies, uh, or Wall Street missing the mark on IPO valuations here. Uh, Peloton, uh, once again, uh, comes out, uh, gets hit the first couple days of trading, uh, trying to put in a little bottom here. Uh, what What's your research said here on Peloton? There's the product and then there's the investment. And the product's incredible. Uh, million loyal subscribers, um, 1% quarterly churn. That's about one tenth of the churn of a typical subscription. I mean, essentially they wow. are an endorphin dealer and they pay $500 a year. It's not cheap. Um, and so I think that that is uh, the business model, Apple-like uh, hardware margins with Netflix-like subscription margins. So that's all good. Um, but I don't think this is going to be a great investment for the long haul. And uh, there's only so far you can grow with this type of a market. Um, uh, Peloton's, I, I think it is uh, fitness in general, tends to be more hit driven and fad driven. And so, um, you know, if you think back to uh, former uh, fitness uh, trends, you can kind of go down the list and check them off, whether it was uh, aerobics or Bowflex or... Um, uh, I mean, I think even yoga at a certain uh, stage is, uh, is starting to peter out. Uh, but uh, that, that's important. And they're, they're having different businesses. You know, they have their outdoor classes and their treadmill, but these are still expensive uh, pieces of hardware, $2,000 piece of hardware. If they would come out, to answer your question, if they would come out with a $1,000 bike or a $700 bike, I think it would dramatically change the, uh, my view of the story. Gene, one thing I learned this Saturday, my brother-in-law just happens to be like a workout king. He's a member of three gyms. He just canceled the one that was like 250 a month, and he did because of Peloton. He, yeah. does, he, does, he does not have a Peloton. He uses his iPad, and he pays, I think, 100 a month or, or 99 a month or something like that to do these virtual court, these virtual classes where he can see a real class. So he stopped. He kept his orange theory. That's the one he kept, and he dropped all this other one. Yeah, 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 that's. I mean, so, yeah, that's. There, there is that case. It's. Um, I didn't know about this. Yeah. So I'm like, I want to. Yeah, you can do the classes without having the the hardware. 
So I, I still... Uh, the hardware's uh, too expensive. I hardware's good, and I do think fitness, is it's a tough one to, to yep. try to build a long-term business around. I hear you. I hear you. So um, one last thing. You were... Um, Gene has a great newsletter. If you don't get it, you should sign up. Um, you had this great analogy about Warren Buffett's bridge analogy and, and margin of safety. Um, can you go into it, how you apply that, how you apply that to your VC fund and venture investing? Um, you know, Ben Graham is one of those, you know, was part of this and margin, margin of safety. So I think that'd be great for the listeners. Yeah, I, the basic idea is that, so our, we are a research driven venture capital firm. We research all the companies that we've uh, been talking about today. We also invest in companies at a um, much smaller scale than large cap tech. And uh, it's just simply when you, when you think about um, building a bridge, uh, you want to have some redundancy built into it. You can use an airplane example as well. But what, uh, what, as, as we think about um, investing, uh, we always want to make sure it's not just a great team, but has uh, something to fall back on with product market fit or a third piece to fall back in, which is other investors that have strong hands. And so uh, that's the, the insight from our piece of investing. And you can apply that also to some of the larger companies in, in terms of when they come out with uh, new products, do they have fallback plans? And maybe to, to bring it all together is like uh, when I think about um, a great business that has a fallback plan, that is, is probably not fully appreciated. It'd be like Apple watch that their, their wearables business that um, falls back on uh, kind of a billion active iPhones to continue to grow its, its usage. And so um, pretty um, powerful guide guidelines from uh, Warren Buffett. Joel Elkanen, along with Jason Rasnick, closing out the fifth edition of On Frontier Tech with Gene Munster. Gene will be joining the FinTech Conference in November in New York City and uh, putting his spin uh, on the future in FinTech. We're all looking forward to that. Gene, thanks again for your time, and uh, we'll speak to you soon. Thank you. BetMGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at BetMGM. Simply download the BetMGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same-game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C.